So, church, over the past few weeks, when I have been, been talking about some of the things that we believe are core values for us as a church, the things that we think are really important, the things that we say that when we talk about who we want to be as a church family here at Crossing, when we talk about those things, there are three of them that I mentioned. So, pop quiz. Anyone want to tell me what those three things are? Wow. Um, <laughs> th- thank you. I can always depend on you, Josiah. Thank you so much. A- anyone else? Equip, send, serve. That's great. We're going to work on that a lot more, obviously. All right? Equip, send, serve. That's exactly right. There's one more that I want to talk about today before we move on to other topics and stuff, and that's our purpose, our mission statement, to be and to make committed followers of Jesus Christ. We say that, we say that that's what we want to be about, to be and to make committed followers of Jesus Christ. There's two parts to that statement, you notice. The first part is to be. To be a committed follower of Jesus. That's the first part of the equation. But then there's a second part of it, and it says to make. To make committed followers of Jesus. All right? Now then, hang on with me because right now I'm about to go someplace and you're going to go, wow, I didn't see that coming at all. I love nachos. Do you see the connection? I love nachos. Nachos are my comfort food. I eat nachos on Sundays. Don't draw any correlations to that, okay? Just, that's what I do. Nachos are my Sunday night food. I could do them a couple other nights a week too, but nachos are my Sunday night food. Now then, if I were to say to you, I love nachos, can you make some nachos? And you never, ever heard of nachos, and some of you haven't. I know, because you think that Taco Bell is nachos. But some of you have never, you've never heard of nachos, and you say, what is a nacho? You would have no idea. You'd have to say, what are the ingredients? How do I make them? Do you bake them? Do you broil them? Do you fry them? Matter of fact, you can fry anything and it'd be okay. But, you know, do you fry them? You would need some instructions if you've never, ever heard of that. Or let's just say you've heard of them for a long time, but you've never had them. You've never made them. You'd still need a good set of instructions for you to figure out what's expected of you, right? Well, the same thing is true about being and making committed followers of Christ. What does it look like? What are the ingredients? How long do you bake a Christian to make them committed? What does it take to determine that you have a committed follower of Christ? What does it take for you to say, I'm one of those. If that's what that is, I'm one of those. Today, I want us to talk about what it means to look like a committed follower of Jesus. So, Matthew 28, it's got to be a place where we start in this conversation. Matthew 28 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's a pretty clear instruction to every single person in this room who says, by the way, I'm a Christian. Well, then, you've been commanded to go and make disciples. That's what you've been told to do. All right? But then, 2 uh, Timothy 2.2 2 says, um, That which I, you have learned, pass it on to others who are faithful and who will teach it also. And 1 Timothy 4.11 says, prescribe and teach these things. Prescribe and teach these things. And so here's this part of the equation about 
making disciples. And here are these passages, just a few of them. There are many others that says, this is what we do. We go, we make, we, we take what we've learned and we pass it on to others who will also, you pay attention if you, if you look it up, make a note in your notes or whatever. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, take what I've taught you and it didn't, it didn't stop there. It says, and teach it to others. In, in, in our discipleship, there is something about our discipleship that is natural to be reproduced in others. It is inherent in being a disciple of Christ, a committed follower of Christ, that you are taking someone else who is younger than you in the faith, or in some way wants to have someone walk along with them, and you are walking along with them. It's inherent. It should be for us that we are spending time with another Christian who is trying to learn particular habits or particular issue or just has never been in the Word and you're helping them to understand how to walk through it together. That's the part of making disciples. What about being a disciple? What about being a disciple? Well, Colossians 1.28 says, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that they may represent every man complete in Christ. So there is some of what it means to be a disciple, to be complete in Christ. Romans 12.2 has to be in this discussion. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, is that he is what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed, it says. It says, be renewed. An interesting statement, renewed your mind. There are so many of us in the church who take everything about being a Christian and what it means to be a Christian and we attach it to the heart. And we say, well, I didn't feel it today. Or we say all kinds of things. That it attaches our spirituality to this feeling. It's how we feel. It's how he makes me feel. It's that I, I just, you know, it's this thing of this natural kind of spiritual high that so many of us equate with walking with the Lord and being godly. And yet you notice this verse here, and so many verses like it, talk about this, the mind. It talks about the mind. Paul says it again in Ephesians 4.23, that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, that would be mind, of the image of its creator. We could go on and on with other verses that talk about how we change our minds, and when we change our mind, we change our thinking, and then we change what we believe to be true. And we reject old things because we're accepting new things that are coming out of the truth of God's word. There are so many places that direct us that direction. It doesn't direct us about how we should feel about things. It directs us about what we know to be true and what we accept as being true. And so when God says to not be transformed to the world, he doesn't say, just feel God's spirit. He says, renew your mind. 
Change what you thought used to be, change what you used to think was true and accept the truth of God's word in its place. Change the way you used to behave and instead behave this way. You see that in the epistles all the time where Paul says, don't be like that, be like this. You used to be like that, now you're like this. All the time. He's saying, that was then, this is now, this is what you're becoming. And all of that is happening as we are in God's Word and it is renewing our mind and it's helping us to think differently about the world around us, about how we relate to the people around us, and how we even understand ourselves. Because, for instance, just what I said at the beginning of the service, all that stuff is really true. I mean, I didn't make that up. That was not something I got off of a web prayer site. You know, you know, you know, wasn't one of those things. I didn't go up and say, what are the prayers for October the 8th? No. Struggle with anger? Struggle with lust? Struggle with people pleasing? Top three things in my life. Before the Lord most days. And yet, any of those days, I could feel terrible. And I do often. And yet, there's this, always this thing about going, but he thinks differently about me. He feels differently about me. He's said this thing about me, which is different than that. Matter of fact, I often have to come back to Romans 8 and just says, and therefore there is no condemnation to those who are found in Christ. And I go, really? That felt good. And I think a lot of us need to feel that way, don't we? It is so easy to see the gap between where we are and where we think we ought to be. But the truth of the matter is, is that he has filled that gap himself. And he says, I love you just like you are. That's a big deal for me, renewing my mind, changing the way I think. So being a committed follower of Jesus means changing our minds, changing what we believe, changing what is important to us, changing how we make decisions. That's huge, how we make decisions. Because for me, oh, I forgot one, doggone. Um, my, other, my fourth thing that I struggle with every day is comfort. I want to be comfortable. I want everyone to agree with me. I want everything to go well. I want everything to work. When I turn the key on the car, it needs to work. When I try and run trailer wire in a trailer, it needs to go through there and be run, not take me four hours to do it. That is not comfort. And that was yesterday. That is not comfort. I want things to work. And when they don't, I feel like someone's mistreating me. I feel like the world's falling in on me. And those are such tiny little things, aren't they? Because they're all about my comfort. Changing the way I make decisions about how I see my world. And as we begin to obey God and believe what He says, more than, uh, and we believe more than He tells us that we should see others as more important than ourselves. And He tells us how to, to view the world around us. And as we begin to obey that, see, obedience is, is key. Is key to renewal. Pause. Not in the notes. Great point, though. I just had it. We have to talk about it. All right? Seminary graduates are full of knowledge. I remember I was one. And I thought that when you teach them good doctrine, it's going to change the world. You'll have great churches. 
Good doctrine without obedience is legalism, is nastiness. It's what we're known for as churches in general. Man, for us to be renewed means that I hear the truth and then I go, I have to obey that truth. And the more I obey that truth, the more I get renewed. But the more I just store up knowledge, I'm just, as one friend said, you are just a useless vat of information. And that was a friend. And so we don't want to be useless vessels of information. We get renewed as we obey. So, anyway, so today I have maybe what I think are seven ways that we could consider that when I want to become a committed follower of Christ, and if you're, and if you're meeting with someone, discipling somebody, or mentoring somebody, that these seven things can kind of be a, a gauge. And there are many more than this, all right? We're just going to say that. There are many more than this. But these seven things can be a gauge for helping to say, what do we want to work on in our personal life and my mentoring relationship? So, um, number one, live for the glory of God and his kingdom. You know, Colossians 1, 10, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And you do it with all your strength and with all your energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God. First Peter says, you know, with all of our strength, with all of our energy, do that to the glory of God. Notice that in that First Corinthians passage, Paul says, even the most mundane activities should be to God's glory for his reputation. It's, it's, that, is that kind of hard to wrap your head around a little bit? To think about, how do I do that? Well, let me just put it like this. It goes back, we can, if we just think about it in our terms and things that we relate to. And so, for instance, it's like when you love somebody or when you love something, when you're a part of something and you esteem it, you think it's important. And some of us have really good family values this way. And that's that, like, you don't want to damage its reputation or make it look bad. And so you think about, for instance, let's just put it like this. If I'm driving around a company vehicle and on the back of it says, how's my driving call, 1-800-na-na-na-na-na? Well, all of a sudden, I'm aware, or we should be. Some of those guys are not aware at all, right? (laughs) But let's just say theoretically again, all right? We're working theoretically here. that, That when... The Lord Jesus' name has been tattooed on my heart. And when his reputation rides on my bumper, that I should care about the way I drive and what people see there. And that's just this driving thing, which is really a hard one, isn't it? It goes back to, I have this thing about customer service. If you work in the office, they all know this already, like, right? And I, and I think that when you tell me you're going to do something and I'm paid you a lot of money for it, that I expect it to happen. And when it doesn't happen, I can get on the phone immediately and go, dude, this is just not right. And you know what? The past several months, the Lord has really convicted me 
that like even if they didn't deliver what they promised, I still have to honor them because that honors him. And so I used to love those phone calls during dinner because it gave me an opportunity to vent with somewhat of a self-righteousness about it, right? And so this year, I've changed my little tone. And when there's someone there, I'll say, thank you so much. You've done a really fine job at your job, but I'm not interested. Thanks a lot for calling. And I feel better about that because I feel like it honored them. I wanted to say other things often. But I felt like that was honoring them. That's, and, and, and that's what I mean about, you know, he says, in all that you do and how you eat, how you drink, the mundane things, I think that that's a mundane way of honoring God. By the way, I answer the phone. By the way, I get into the next lane next to me. All these little things like that, they show up in little things. The little things matter. When you talk to athletes, when you talk to all these people, they say the fundamentals matter. It's the little things that matter. And so in our, in our lives, in these little things, how we respond to other people, how we love those people, all of that stuff points back at him and says, that dude loves Jesus. And you know what? Because of that, I kind of think that Jesus might be something real. And so I give him glory and I give him honor in the way I respond to you. And that's not always very good, is it? When I respond to my wife, to my children... We honor him and we give him glory by the way we respond. But then there's this other thing too. And this is, is like, I don't know, I'm sorry folks, but we're like as white suburbanites in a church, we're very, very... I used to teach a class down in Center City for... Um, it used to be PCB, I think. I don't even know what the name was then. For Philadelphia College of the Bible. And I was teaching a continuing ed. And, I, and so... I was teaching three nights of class in North Philly. Three nights, three classes on one night. Three classes on one night in North Philly. And I'd go in there, and like, all of my students in that class were adult African Americans. And you know what? I, and I started every, every semester when we started out, I would say... So, hi, my name is Tim Smith. This is who I am, and all, and we're going to be studying this class. Now, I'd like to know why you're in this class and who you are. And I've got to tell you something. Those people would start out class like this. My name is, you know, Barbara Williams, and I'm here because I love the Lord Jesus. And I want to know more about him. And they said that 20 times in every class. <laughs> and then I moved up here to the suburbs one time to do a class. And I asked a whole bunch of suburbanites, and I said, why are you here? Oh, well, because I'm a leader of this ministry, and I just want to, you know, I need to get some more education. I mean, giving glory to God says, I am in love with him. And I find myself all the time like going, man, I don't sound like it, do I? I don't sound like I'm in love with him, do I? The way I talk about him, or really the way I don't talk about him. And I want that to be reflected in my speech and in my heart and in my actions to give glory to him. And, to, and, and that's why when I do the connection cards, I, I say to you guys, you know what, guys, put the things on there you want to praise God for. And, and you know what? We get hardly any of those because it's not something that comes natural to us. To give him glory, to praise him for the things he's doing in our life. We really need to be reminded of that all the time. And speaking to the choir right here, baby. All right? Wow. i got to find myself back in my notes now. All right. 
We're going to the next one because I don't even know where I was at there. All right, so that's the first concept, living for his kingdom and for his glory. The second one is kind of related a little bit, and it's this. It's that we are Christ's ambassadors. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We're speaking for Christ when we plead with men and women and children to come to Jesus. And as we've, done, we've talked about this one before, and it's every once in a while you hear someone who gets fired up for their behavior, they get fired for their behavior. It happened this week. Mike Missinelli, our own Mike Missinelli here on TV, Philadelphia Sports, he made a comment that was not representative of his company, and he's now on the bread line. Fox News, they had a lot of people who made comments that were not in line with the company policy. And they are no more. You know what's great about Jesus? Is that when we make comments that are not in line with Jesus, he forgives us and gives us our job back. Isn't that good? I don't even know where I'd be if it wasn't for that. Isn't that good? But we are his ambassador. And so we do not go and represent ourselves to others. We do not go and say, well, this is what I feel about God. I know that the scripture says something different, but this is what I feel about God. This is what I think he really meant. Or or we don't go and say, you know what? I know the Bible says that. And my church teaches that. But... This is how I feel about it. We are tasked and told to go and say this. God's word says this, that he loves you, that he forgives you, that he doesn't like that kind of behavior, whatever it may be. We're told to go and to represent him. And that if he believes something different than what I believe, that I still have to say it. That I still have to represent him. And that being his ambassador, it goes back to what we said a moment ago, is that the way we react and the things that we say and the things we do, all of those things have to represent the one who sent us. They have to represent the Lord Jesus and his views and his policies and his standards on all those things. Number three, I am a steward of God's money, time, possessions, talents, skills. I am a steward of my children, of my home, of my car, of my job, because none of that is mine. Because we believe as Christians that he gave that to us, that he gave us those things and says, this is yours for a little while. And what I'm expecting of you is that you're going to take it and you're going to multiply it and you're going to make something of it and then you'll come back and tell me about that. You know, the passage I put up for it is Luke 12 where the master gives his possessions into the hands of employees and he expects them to come back with a report about what they've done with it. And as we've often said, this is the UPS driver thing, no good employee takes and spends what was given for him on himself. Instead, he says, who, is this, who does this belong to? Who did you intend for this to go to, Lord? We are God's steward with his money. And so when he gives us so much money out of a paycheck, our, our thinking should be, what does the Lord want with this money? 
So when he gives us our 24 hours in a day, our thinking should be, what does the Lord want with my time? And when he gives me these children, he says, what does the Lord want me to do with these children? And he gives me a job, and he says, what does the Lord want me to do with this job? How do you want me to be your ambassador here? Because you gave it to me, and I owe you a report on what I'm doing with it. Number four, everyone is a full-time minister. We just kind of talked about this when we were talking just recently about service, equip, send, serve. I'm, you know, and we talked about this. I'm not hired to do things on your behalf. You know, we are all ministers of the gospel. And if you depend on it to happen because I did it, then we are in a boatload of trouble. But if we were to say we expand that to the approximately 160 people in this room, we can get a great deal more done. We can think of how many more people we hear the gospel because 160 of us are telling someone else about it as opposed to me alone doing that. We are in full-time ministry. So when you have a neighbor who has a need and they need a meal to be cooked, you don't call the deacon and say, have a neighbor who needs a meal to be cooked and you have one dropped off this afternoon. No, that neighbor's next door to you because God put you there and because you can cook. If you can't cook, you can go to Acme and buy the soup and bring it over there to them, all right? There's a way. Whatever that need may be, you, we are full-time ministers, and so it is our job to step into those needs when we see them present themselves and say, Lord, what would you have me do here? What would you have me do here? Number five, we are all intended to reproduce. I already mentioned this one, but we are all intended to reproduce. 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust them to faithful men who will be able to teach them to others also. Mentoring. One of the biggest needs we need in our church right now, and we need to get organized for it and structured for it and connecting the different parts, is for those of you who've been a Christian for a while, and that can run from 30 years, from some of you to even 10 years, it doesn't matter, But for those of us who have been Christians for a while, to be connected to those who are being Christians for just a short while. For our parents who have, we want to say successfully raised children because I don't even know what successfully raising children looks like. But for our parents who have raised children, to be, for us as a church, to connect them to parents who are trying to raise children. For our guys who have done business as missions for a while to connect them with our young guys who are trying to figure that out. Connect them together and say, this is how you make your, your, your job into a ministry. There are so many ways we can do that. For those of you who have been in the faith for a little while and needing to connect you to others. But really the most important thing here is just this. Is who are you meeting with on a regular basis? It doesn't have to be weekly. It doesn't have to be bi-weekly. Who are you meeting with and walking through the scripture or praying with? Because that's, we're all called to do that. We're all called to do that. And so you think about the kind of spiritual maturity that begins to happen in our people and in ourselves. Because I can just tell you, (laughs) I have somebody in my life that they're often, they'll text me and they'll say, so so so-and-so asked me this question. 
And I'm like going, oh my gosh, so where do these questions come from? They're all hard questions. There's never an easy question among all these. And then, and, and it forces me to say, what does God's word say about that? So as the mentor in these kind of relationships or whatever it may be, we're pushed to say, do I believe this? What does God's word say about this? Am I living that way? As we try and help a younger Christian or somebody else who's walking through a circumstance in that area. And that goes back to all of us being full-time ministers as well. Where it is not, it is not just those who've come out of seminary or those who've got a, a, a paycheck associated with the job. It's any of us. I was, I was meeting with people for years and years and years before I was ever in ministry or ever gone to seminary. It was the most remarkable thing of my, of my upbringing, and that's how I really came to understand what God wanted from me. I was praying Frisbee in a, in a parking lot at a college, and a guy says, you want to get together? And I'm thinking, like, why? People don't, that's weird, kind of, you know. And then we began to get together, and we just began to, and that, in those days, it was Jesus Rock. It was kind of, you'd laugh at it now. Anyway, we'd listen to some music, and we'd just start talking about what God was doing in our lives. And then we'd be talking about what Scripture says about it, and then we'd find ourselves praying about it, and then we'd go on. You know, so it was kind of like Bill Keggy, Scripture, prayer. And that's kind of what, you know, getting together was like. And that can be the same thing for you with meeting with someone and just talking to them and praying with them. All right, the next one, number six, living with eternity in mind. Living with eternity in mind. Now, you probably think, I've heard all these things from you before because I think all these things are important and I think it doesn't hurt us to go over them again and again and again. Living with eternity in mind. When Christians realize their citizenship is in heaven, we begin to act like responsible citizens of earth. That's what I've read. When we begin to understand that we're really citizens of over there, we begin to act more responsible here. You know, Hebrews talks about this. Hebrews chapter 11 goes through, and it talks about all of these heroes of the faith. And then it has this really strange thing at the very end of it. It says, all these people are heroes. All these people are heroes. Then there's a whole bunch of people who are heroes. We don't even know all their names. And then it says, but none of them got the promise yet because we're going to get it all together. I just talked with a guy recently about that verse. He's like going, what? If they're such heroes, why didn't they get what they were promised? Because what they were promised was not in this life, it was in the next. It was in the next. And that passage says, they saw from a distance and they believed it to be true. And because they saw what was coming, everything that happened right now didn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. You know what? I have to confess something. I'm, I'm not really proud of it. Because it has this, I started to say a hint of arrogance. It has a lot of arrogance about it. Um, but for years and years and years and years, after I moved here, and you're going to say, you still do that. I probably do. I'm not sure. After I moved here, it was like little 12,000 town of Leveland, Texas was home. This was not. And so I never invested in learning where the other towns were around here. I never invested in learning about the local history until I learned it for Colonial Christmas. I never invested in learning about the local history. I never invested in this place because home was down there. And you want to know something? I learned later on that, like, you know what? That's exactly 
what he's saying to us about our investment in this, in this place as a world in heaven. My home my, was someplace else, and so I didn't invest in this place in the same way I invested at home. And that's what he even says about, in Hebrews 12, he says, because if they had thought this was their home, they would cling to it. They would grasp it. They wouldn't want to leave it. They would invest everything here. They'd make all their riches here. It'd be all about this. But their home was not this home. They had a promise that was to come. And because of that, they were invested there. And because they understood that everything important was going to happen there, what they did was they said, did you know, let me tell you, you would like to see my home? I'm sorry, I can't show it to you because I'm not there yet. <laughs> let me tell you all about it though, all right? Don't do that stuff, all right? But anyway, it's like being excited about what's next. It's like, it's like thinking about there's this other thing coming and because of that, and Hebrews says it. Hebrews says it over and over again. It says, and all these other passages do, because of what's still to come, this doesn't bother me so much. Because what's still to come, I can endure this. The light of the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel, it's not a train, it's Jesus. And because of that, this world is passing, it's fading. This pain is quick, it will endure. I'm not going to die from this. And if I did, I'd be with Jesus. Investing in that, looking up there, knowing that is coming, saying that's Jesus, that's heaven, it's still to come, and it doesn't matter about all the noise around me, it doesn't matter about all the chaos around me, and even this hurt and this pain, it's going to just fall off of me like dead skin because that's coming, because Jesus is waiting on me. He's going to, he said, I'm making a home for you. If it were not true, I would not say it, but I am making a home for you, I'm preparing a place for you, and when I'm going to come back to you and get you and take you there with me. That makes these little things bearable. And you want to know something? I'm amazed when I'm around some people where their little things are life-threatening. We have a gal in our Wednesday night Bible study, and like her health has been one thing after another. But that woman is not focused on those health issues. That woman is focused on what's next. And there's not a Wednesday night ever where we pray about her health. We pray about the loved ones she has who are unsaved. When I think about, when I, Wednesday nights, when I look at her in her wheelchair, I think about that. I'm reminded of this all the time. And I'm sure it's not like that all the time. But I've known others like her who sat through this life and the hardship of it and said, there's this other thing. There's this other thing, and it's more glorious than this. All right, the next one is kind of like this one. Remember when I, I mean, now let me just walk you through this one, okay? Let me walk you through this one. Do you remember the first time you had puppy love, or even real love, right? It, it, puppy love, real love. You remember the first time you had it, and like you were so in love that you were buying this person gifts like every week, and you were spending all kinds of money you didn't have on these gifts. And it didn't even really matter if they liked the gifts. It's just you wanted to give them something. Why? Because you were deeply in love. You remember that? Someone needs to shake your head right now. Give me an amen. Someone needs to have behaved like that at one time or another. All right? If you haven't yet, your time will come. Don't worry about it, okay? But you understand that. It's like you were in love, and because you were in love, there was nothing you wouldn't do for that other person. This is one of my 
perhaps liberal theologies. This is what I think. When I get to heaven, I'm going to show up. And for the very first time, I'm going to understand Jesus perfectly. For the very first time, I will see him to be as beautiful as he really, really is. For the very first time, I will understand the great sacrifice he made on my behalf. For the very first time, I will, I will be in, in, able to see his glory. And I will be like Isaiah, and I'll say, woe is me. This is just too much to understand. This is too much to fathom. I cannot believe this. This is just crazy. And in that moment, I will love him more and better than I've ever, ever, ever loved anything in my life, more than nachos. This is what I think. In that moment, now, I know you can poke all kinds of holes in this, but just bear with me. In that moment, in my humanity, I will want to give him a gift because I love him so much. But I'm going to be in heaven, and I won't have anything except the rewards that he gave me. And in that moment, I'll say, you know what? Thank you so much for these rewards. But I want you to have them. They're yours. Because I love you so much. And this is all I have to give is my worship, my praise, and these things you gave me. They're yours. How you live in this life affects the next one. I have not been there before, but I got a postcard from there, and it's called the Bible. And that postcard says, this is a great place. I can't wait for you to be here. I can't wait for you to be here. And when you get here, I will wipe every tear from your eye. The seventh principle is this. How you live in this life impacts the next one. He says that I will wipe every tear from your eye. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow. And that he says that in that time and place, we'll come to this this judgment seat where he says he will give us rewards based on our faithfulness to service in this life. So some people say, well, that's just not right. I don't want to serve him because I want rewards. You know what? If what my little scenario is true, then I do want to serve him because I want to have something to give back to him because I think he's going to blow me away when I finally meet him. How I serve him in this life will affect the next life. Because he will give me rewards. And I want to be able to give them back to him and say, I love you. And this is my expression of worship and praise back to you. As you consider what a committed follower of Jesus Christ is, Take in consideration these seven qualities. There's others. You can have them. It doesn't matter. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that these things cover a lot, of, a lot of ground when we're looking at our lives, we're evaluating how we behave and what we're learning and why we're thinking. These seven things. Have, and if you have another one you want to throw on the list, I'd love to hear about it. There's lots we could put on this list. But these are just seven things that when we think, what does it look like for me to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ? And what does it look like for me to help someone else become a committed follower of Jesus Christ? These seven things are just a beginning. 
And if you go past all these, you've done better than most, probably. So, that's what i got to say to you about those things. May the Lord help us to grow in them. May the Lord help us to be a church that embraces them.